lots and lots of spoilers. So I was down, uh, where was I? I? was at that place in London. Oh, yeah, yeah, Portobello Road. It's on Portobello Road. Uh-huh. I don't know if you've been there. It's that big shopping lane. It was in that movie, The Blue Door. What's his name? The, the, the tall actor. Um, anyway, I'm, uh, uh, yeah. are you going to eat that croissant? Uh, yeah. Uh, yes, I am. Oh, all right. Well, uh, the, what? yeah, two croissants. Thanks. So I was having chicken, and they have uh-huh. this chicken in this little restaurant, I Moroccan or Middle Eastern, I don't remember. And it's made with, with kumquats and maple seeds, and it's... The Here. first time I've ever had, it was the essence of all that is chicken. And like, just having this, huh. I, I would have a bite. And then... The, um, pass the salt. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Uh, you, you ketchup? Um, uh, yeah, yeah. I, my mind was like blown. It, it started expanding oh. off and, and remembering these random things that just sort of started connecting the, you know, like the, this Italian order uh-huh. of monks. I don't know if you've heard of them. It's Italian order of monks. They only read Latin. Get this. They read it mm. through... Oh, uh, pork chop. Uh, they oh, read this the old Latin through these dirty glasses or, or you know, the cracked lenses because they want to make they want to work at it. They don't want to assume anything. They want to uh-huh. understand the true meaning of holidays. Excuse yeah. me. That include yeah. pork, uh, and you know they would you know then after they would gather huh. all of that information and and their minds would be expanded. You know I'm sitting here eating chicken. They're eating mm. pork. Well, not even eating pork. They're reading about pork. But yeah. they would go mm. off and and find these old tomes. You know that were the first written in, encounters with people that had no writing, and they would talk about their ancient traditions. Uh-huh. You know where men and women sure. would, would would dance with celery, and they would try to find a better connection between. You know, humanity, the the universe, and, yeah. and beer, and, and they would just. Mike, Mike, can we get to the damn movie already? The movie? Yeah, we're here to talk about a movie. Oh, movie! Yeah, right. Of course, here yes. at Max Mike Movies, oh, we get brother. right to the movie, right to the point. Even Yikes. if some of the films we watch, well, <clears throat> don't. Got distracted. Are you sure you're going to eat that croissant? Um, yes, I am going to eat the croissant. Okay, all right, all right. On my right is the Andre to my Wallace, that main event himself, Merlot Max Levine. Raise, raise a glass, Max. <coughs> ah. And I am the Wallace to his grommet, malleable Mike Luce. Together, we tackled this week's film, another entry in our series, that sure was 1981, the much maligned, or is it the lauded, My Dinner with Andre. Sure, you've heard of it, seen jokes made at its expense, but have you seen it? Well, I hadn't, and I think it would go a little like this. But first, we have our poll question to masticate over. We asked you, listeners, and you said (laughs) it means to chew. I knew that. (laughs) We asked you, listeners and non-listeners alike, what movie do you think would be improved if it was told from the point of view of one of the side or supporting characters instead of the main character? You responded thusly. Weasel Dan's, his totally real name, offered up, quote, was just talking about this. I think the recent Black Widow movie would have been much better received if it was actually a Yelena movie rather than a Natasha prequel. Florence Pugh or Pew? don't know p-u-g-h is great and funny and they really should have just told her story with flashbacks of natasha rather than making it a black widow prequel film end quote thanks weasel Hmm. did you see it i did Hmm. and uh, that's an interesting point i mean i enjoyed it but there is something weird when you're like watching a character and uh spoiler alert yeah she's already dead yeah fell off the cliffs of insanity that's a real deeper. Good luck with that one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I watched it with the weasel and uh, don't remember a thing about it. Anyway, Matt Reisman had a detailed answer in, quote, too many Sherlock Holmes movies are told with Holmes as the point of view. It worked better to have Watson as the point of view character in the short stories and novels because we, the audience, can better identify with it. Similarly, I think many superhero stories work really well when told from the point of view of an informed friend or sidekick. The genre is sufficiently well-tread in film now that I think something like Superman from Lois's perspective would be compelling, end quote. That's a lot to chew over here, Matt, uh, Matt but uh, yeah, thank you. That's, uh, that's really very interesting. Very chewy. Yeah, very chewy. Mm. Ed Shields chimed in with, quote, maybe the Eternals movie would have been better from Dane's perspective, end quote. Could be. Could be. I haven't seen it. <laughs> Neither have I. Therefore, I'll say, sure. 
Val Coons. Huh. Well, never heard of her. She answered, nope. quote, What if Key Largo was told from the point of view of Gay Dawn, Claire Trevor, who won an Oscar for this role? And to uh. have and have not would definitely be interesting to see from Marie Browning's, Lauren Bacall's, perspective. Better? I don't know, but interesting for sure. End quote. Yeah. Interesting indeed. Uh, and I, I just recently rewatched To Have and Have Not. Gee, I can't for the life of me figure out why Humphrey Bogart would fall in love with Lauren Bacall. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's absolutely baffling. I can't figure it out. Uh, she's just, uh, the character and the actor are, are both very interesting, and sure, I'd like to see anything from her perspective, so thanks, Val. Last but certainly not least is our friendly Canuck, Vince, who, using the website, commented, <laughs> quote, Jinx in Die Another Day, she was so much more interesting than James Bond. In fact, she should have been James Bond in that movie. Halle Berry managed to steal the film, and I wanted to know much more about her, end quote. Vince, as always, earns triple bumpy bucks without pucks among them. That's because he uses the website, like a good boy. Thanks, all. So, Max, yeah. what about you? Which movie would you like to be told from a different perspective? I always kind of wanted to see a Batman movie told from Alfred's perspective. Be a lot of cleaning. <laughs> well, yeah, but it'd be really interesting to just like, oh, Master Bruce is at it again, or seeing him. All right, what? how much damage did you do to the Batmobile this time? And what? What? All right, you, Clayface left some sort of slime all over your costume. It's going to take forever to get that out. Or, <laughs> You know, you could actually go outside during the daytime sometime, Bruce. Um, yeah. Uh, I wouldn't mind actually seeing it from an actual teenage Robin's perspective, because it would be interesting. I'd also like to see Lord of the Rings from the Rings perspective. <laughs> I mean, sure, it spends a lot of time in a pocket, but, you know. Yeah, or down somebody's shirt. It's like, <laughs> hey, what's going on out there? Ow, hey, it's dark. Gosh, it's hairy. Be around. <laughs> Um, hey, hey, are we are we in Mordor? I can't tell. Take me out. Show me. <laughs> oh, oh, he's putting me on. He's putting me on. Oh, baby. Oh, okay. That was perhaps <laughs> a little know, too far. I think that was uh, the porn parody, Horrors of the Rings. Oh, there it? was no. Oh, you know, there probably was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't never say there wasn't one of anything in the porn genre because, you know, there was. Well, as soon as we said it, there is. So there. Yeah, yeah. Rolf, but uh, yep. yeah, we'd like to uh, thank you all for. Uh, for answering. We love all your answers. Um, this week, unlike every other week, we have a new poll question to present to you. <laughs> Answer uh? through means both mysterious and manufactured, and you will win Bumpy Bucks, the cryptocurrency that keeps your intestines free and clear of nasty flux and paste. We'd like... <laughs> well, it <Flux>? does. <laughs> we'd like to know, and this is a dangerous question, but we'd like to know, do critics' opinions actually influence whether or not you will see a film? Uh, not so, not counting us. No, well, of course we we obviously influence tons, many, yeah. you, uh, two. <laughs> if so, in what circumstances? We really look forward to hearing your answers, yeah. and we'll tell you how to answer at the end of the show. But back to my dinner with Andre, and it's trivia. The show budget four hundred and seventy-five million. Okay, thousand dollars. I was gonna say take. Even after, quote, staying in the theaters for a year, end quote, this indie only took in 15000 So I guess there will be no I Dinner with Andre 2. The Wrath of Wally. I thought it was The Wrath of Shaka Andre, but okay. <laughs> Believe it or not, Andre and Wallace stated that they're, quote, not playing themselves, just characters with their own same names, end quote. Sure. All right, their own same names, jobs, and girlfriends slash wives. Yep. Yep. I, I checked. Yep. His, uh, Andre's <laughs> wife actually is nicknamed Chiquita. Yep. Her name's Mercedes. Yep. And uh, Aunt, uh, Wallace Wallace's Sean. girlfriend is... Uh, Debbie, oh, I think. Debbie, yes. His long, who is... Uh, they never got married, I don't think, but they're still together. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Not... No. But it's now, not to be, them! Be, to be fair, Wallace Sean did say, if we ever remade the film... No! Oops, spoiler, uh, that he would switch parts with Andre just to prove his point. Oh, sure. Okay. Not at all filmed in New York, at least not the dinner scenes. This was shot in an abandoned hotel in Virginia in winter with no heat. <laughs> so there's actually one point where they're talking about uh, electric blankets and Wallace Shawn's like, ooh, cuddly, warm, nice electric blankets. And Andre's like, no, you must not fall into the trap of the electric blanket. Apparently a lot of the cast and crew were using electric blankets because <laughs> it was cold. 
This was Andre Gregory's first film. You might know him from... Um, yeah. Um, this was Roger Ebert's pick for best <laughs> film of 1981. Wow. Yeah. Okay, well... In a rather interesting quote, Wallace Shawn said that he wanted to make this movie, quote, I actually had a purpose as I was writing this. I wanted to destroy that guy that I played to the extent that there was any of me there. I wanted to kill that side of myself by making the film because that guy is totally motivated by fear, end quote. And you can kind of see that if yeah. you're still awake. <clears throat> this movie while perhaps underseen and a total indie darling, has been satirized in such places as The Simpsons, a far side comic, Frasier, Community, and of course, on MST3K. Uh, there's also a comic short called My Dinner with Andre the Giant. <laughs> Which, yeah. Siskel and Ebert would vote this one of the top ten movies of the 80s. Oh. Huh. Max, do you have any uh, trivia you know about this film, or little bits and pieces? Uh, just again... That while Wallace Shawn saying the characters and him, they they both started out as playwrights. Yeah, and uh, end up that way. In while New Wallace Shawn would go on to do Wallace Shawn would go on to be one of the best uh, Ferengi ever on a Star Trek show. <laughs> so, just this saying. is true more than once, and of course also the voice of uh, Rex in the Toy Story movies. Oh, that's right, and, my, and many he was in Princess Bride. Many. Yep, Princess Bride. Wasn't he Clueless. a boyfriend on Taxi? I think. Yeah. Yes, he was Elaine's boyfriend in a couple of a episodes of Taxi. I remember just thinking, you know, that takes some real nerve because Marilu Henner is this bombshell and Wallace Shawn is... Um, not. Not, <laughs> and yet in the, in the character was absolutely adorable and you're going, yeah, I totally get why she'd be into him. If I remember correctly, it finally came down to he wanted to marry her. He really liked yeah. her kids and she kids had to just him. face the fact that as much as she liked him, she just didn't love him. It was very touching. Yeah. For Taxi. You know, one of the many TV shows where Tony Danza plays a character named Tony. Anyway, <laughs> it makes it easier to remember. His part lines. of his process. Sure. Oh, I'm going to go to the plot. Semi-successful playwright and actor Wallace Shawn sits down to dinner with his friend, theater director Andre Gregory, to find out where he's been for the last five years. There's a lot of talking during a meal at a high-end New York restaurant where we never find out if the soup is any good and if Wallace can get over the fact that quail are so small but we do hear Andre's insight into what it means to be human or perhaps what it means to not be human. It's nearly two hours of talking. Let me repeat that. It's nearly two hours of talking. And then the conversation's over with Wallace taking a cab home, ruminating over what he's heard and the fact that he tells his girlfriend all about the dinner. The end. The lowdown. Yeah. I have to say it was the easiest plot summary I've ever written <laughs> <laughs> I could really just have written two guys sit down at dinner and talk for two hours. Yeah, that's pretty much the plot. Yeah, I thought I'd add a little bit more. Uh, my usual question, though, Max, and I think I already know the answer to this. Did you see this before needing to watch it for this show? Yeah, yeah. I saw it when it came out. We'll ask about your opinion when we get to the end of the show. Um, mm -hmm. I do want to applaud you for going. I can't imagine it was easy. You must have been at one of the art houses or... Yeah, it was one of the movies I saw with my father. We saw, I think, at the Nickelodeon. Oh, okay. And, you know, it was I remember it was one of the only American movies my father ever wanted to see. Really? Yeah, he usually wanted, tried to drag me to Bergman or French movies. Or, <laughs> Did your father you know. have trouble sleeping? <laughs> no, my, well, my father doesn't like any, anything with... He, he didn't used to like pretty much anything with, you know, happiness in it. Oh, well... Yeah. This yeah. might have been a good film for him then. Well, yeah. here's a question I, I never get to ask. Uh, do you remember what his reaction to the film was? He thought it was pretty interesting. That's about all I remember. Mm. I can maybe understand that. Okay. Uh, so this film obviously takes place in 1980 or 1981, which is when it was released. Wallace Shawn at one point says that uh, things are getting tough as he's 36. <laughs> Looking at him going, do you yeah. mean 42? Or <laughs> He looks no, like, he in uh, he was born in forty three, so he would have been about uh, thirty six. I guess thirty thirty six, yeah. something like that. I found it a little hard to believe. He looks a little older than that. He acts a little older than that. Well, he always has looked. He, I think he's one of those those people who is born looking middle aged. Yeah, uh, this was an interesting point in New York City's history because this is the late seventies, early eighties when New York City was, shall we say, not doing well. Um, mm. And it shows, because he gets on a subway train at that point, and the subway train is just covered top to bottom with graffiti. Um, 
sadly, it's actually considered the golden age of graffiti if you're into <laughs> such things in New York because it was everywhere. Uh. And it's when it started you know, not only proliferating, but when people started actually having what they call tags and, and mm. character names and stuff like that. So, but yeah, we start off the film and it's a monologue, which I guess is trying well, to soften most, you yeah. up for what's coming <laughs> of Wallace Shawn talking to himself. And, um, as he goes to take the train to go meet up with Andre. And at one point he actually says, um, he's been avoiding Andre. He's not wanted to see him. Although we never find out why he's actually been avoiding him. Um, although once we get to dinner, maybe <laughs> No, I think it's part of it is he he's heard that he's that he's not doing well and he is he doesn't he's doesn't know how he could help him. Mm. And he, he I think he, he the implication is he doesn't want the the responsibility of having to, to help this person. Mm. Um I mean we start off if the idea of a film that's literally two people talking for two hours doesn't put off the average American movie going audience the fact that they're both New York City actors and playwrights pretty much puts the last nail in the coffin because mm. a more esoteric group of people I'm not sure exists to make a movie about. Esoteric? That's an odd choice of words. What do you mean? Well, so their interests, and as proven by their, their long dialogue, are so off the beaten trail. They're so specific in a lot of ways to just their yeah i wouldn't say esoteric i'd say insular sure they're very self yeah that sort of community new york theater is very self-contained max was an english and, major so he would know <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's true especially and there were you know various eras of new york theater where it was very important to like get the meaning yeah. across and to be deep and important and I gotta say, when he's there's a point where they're talking about the state of theater, and when they say theater, they mean theater in New York because that's the only theater that matters to them. Right. And that, and that, by the way, is an attitude that that persists. New York, the New York theater uh, uh, circles, the critics, the anyone who's involved in it. Basically, New York is this island of theater in the world. Maybe you know they allow that. Maybe there's a little in Chicago, but. That's it. I, yeah, I was going to say, I don't think that's changed. Um, to, yeah. Although theater is yeah. not as big as it used to be. Um, I, I think it is to them, at least. that's my Well, certain kinds of theater are. I mean, the kind <laughs> of theater... I, I do like when they're talking about how shallow theater is in 1981. And now I'm thinking, what would they think if they walked down Broadway and saw <laughs> that every, every, every other musical is an adaptation of a movie or a TV show? Spider-Man! Yeah, okay. Yeah, The Adams Family, the musical. Yeah. Beetlejuice, the musical. Yeah, which... Frozen! Yeah. Well, I mean, now what would they think about going to the theater? I mean, the, the movie theater. Because... Oh, boy. Is it really they any don't different? Even they don't even talk, you know, so they no. don't even mention... Movies don't exist for them. Well, I mean, that's... I don't know as much about theater as you do, but that's pretty much a, a long-standing attitude, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, the th people in theater... And... <clears throat> I, I'm sorry, theater people, but th this is true. A lot of the theater people look down upon movies while desperately hoping they will eventually end up in them. <laughs> Not so much for the purity of the art, because, but because that's where the money is. Most There are very few, it happens, but there are very few people who get rich from the theater. Uh, you just described the plot of Singing in the Rain. <laughs> <laughs> Except yeah. with, you know, less music. Um, so we I ain't people. <laughs> it's I am a shining star in the firmament. It says so right here. You did not doing the voice or the dance. I, um, that's right. One of my first notes was Wallace Shawn is Wallace Shawn in a role that will surprise you because it's <laughs> Wallace Shawn talking to himself. Yeah. Uh, and then they go to, and it's funny because I'm sure the exterior is New York. Yeah. They go to what I'm assuming is called Hoity Toity and Sons Restaurateurs. Um, because oh, yeah. it's one of those places where it doesn't matter whether you have a reservation or not. You're going to wait for your table at the bar. Yeah. And, oh, no, we don't, have, given. we don't have club soda. We only have, I didn't quite hear it. I thought he said some French, like Perrier. It was some substance. version. It was some... Yeah, it was basically, we have expensive stuff. Yeah, and it's a type of place where you're going to have to pre-order your souffle. Um, yeah. Like uh, Cipriani in um, 
Tom's Crown Affair. And I found out that that's a thing because it actually, it takes it long enough it for them like to... It takes like 45 minutes, I think, to make a... Well, they have to rise. You can't, yeah. you yeah. don't have refrigerated souffle. <laughs> you yeah, can't nuke a not. souffle. It doesn't work. <laughs> um, hey, anybody got a uh, way to do that? You'll have the world beat a door- path to your doorstep. Yeah. So he gets there and he, he, at first we get, at least I got the impression that he was a little out of his league for this restaurant. Like he yeah. understood it, but he wasn't comfortable in it. Um, and, well, yeah, and he couldn't read the menu. Well, when, that's before he even sits down when he's at the bar. Yeah. It sort of felt like, oh, you don't have club soda. It's like, oh, no, sir. We have only um, French cat goggle and uh, that, nothing else. <laughs> oh, well, th- that'll do. Thank you. Very good, sir. Um, <laughs> and he's still voiceovering. At this point, I'm wondering if he's actually going to let himself talk. Because <laughs> uh, he's, yeah. Uh, but then Andre shows up, and it's uneasy between them because has been, they haven't seen each other in eight years yeah and andre's been off doing things and that's capital d capital t tm doing things and he sits down and andre takes the spotlight if you will and there's um a good deal of wallace sean nodding and going really and then cutting back to Andre, continuing his story. One of the first stories is about this group. It's like this Polish director wanted Andre yeah. to come out and do plays or do something out there. And he responded with, only if you can find 40 Jewish women who don't speak English but do play instruments like the harp and the flute. Yeah. And he figured this will never <laughs> yep. happen. And it has to be in the woods. And he figured this would never happen. And then it more or less does. And it sounds like this... I don't know, group thing. I don't want to use the word I, I, est, but it felt est-like. <laughs> my note is, sitting in a Polish forest with 40 people you can't understand who play instruments sounds like the worst LARP imaginable. <laughs> I said they needed D&D. Because <laughs> they're supposed to, the whole idea is they're supposed to be improvising. Okay, they're supposed to be creating a theater. And he undergoes, he describes this whole thing where they bap, they baptize him. yeah. I yeah. guess this one night on a but, hill with wind and remembrance or something. Uh, the winds of remembrance. Um, and it goes on. Um, and then he talks about this evening that he had somewhere else, this incredibly interesting evening he had with these people doing this thing. And my note was, when is an interesting evening uninteresting? When somebody else is describing it. Um, it's... Except he does describe it pretty well. Yeah, but here's the thing. So we we deal with the Polish forest. I wish I was picking this up, but I'm not. And then we go on to this evening, which quite honestly, the details of the evening, I don't remember. Um, Did you find a point between those two things? Nope. Okay. Yeah, me neither. Like, and this this comes up a lot. This will, I, I found it had a lot to do with what, Andre, Andre's character, if you will, because it's not the real guy, I guess. I don't know anything about him, so if he says it's not him, whatever. Um, they definitely could definitely could use some D&D, though. Um, I was at this point wondering, well, now, sometimes, especially in theater, and they talk about this, I think, in the film, which I thought was actually kind of interesting, they would occasionally, in their groups, and I think they refer to a Chekhov play, is they would take the actors and they would put them not in a direct rehearsal, but they'd say, we're going to take your characters and put them in a different situation that's not in the play and have you improvise that to help you get more and more into yeah, the character yeah. so that you realize who you are whenever you're doing anything. And this is kind of an interesting actor's uh, exercise, I guess. Um, and they talk about that, but then the rest of it seems to be, well, we're just going to improvise who we actually are. And that seems to be a central thing of Andre's well, one of his thesis is theses, theses, or yeah. is it feces? Uh, <laughs> where he thinks people should improvise being themselves, which of course is very meta because that's entirely what this film is. Well, a big part of what he's talking about, and I think it's one of the themes of the movie, is he says it's very difficult to actually be yourself because most of the time you're playing a role. Mm-hmm. He says most of the time I'm playing being a husband, I'm playing being a father, I'm playing being a director. I think that kind of fits in there. Well, how do you think, what do you feel about that as a thesis? 
Uh, I think it's an interesting point. Okay. It, it's the whole idea of, you know, that we wear different masks, that we have different personas that we use in different parts of our lives. And some of the argument is that some people argue, well, yeah, that's just the way we are, the, the theory of the thousand faces. Mm-hmm. Or, but some people say, no, that's w- what we create to create a barrier between ourselves and the world. I don't know what I, which I think is accurate. So when I put on a mask and go out and fight crime, that's, you're saying, me putting up a barrier between myself and the world. Well, that's because you're asking the question, where are they? (laughs) Yeah. So Batman. I'm going to bring Batman into my dinner with Andre because why the hell not? I got to say, this, in terms of like, sort of, this is kind of pretentious, a, a pretentious element, but this movie kind of invites that. Yep. It reminds me a lot of, if you've ever, the, one of the things I was forced to read in school was, uh, was it, the dialogues with Socrates, where Socrates is talking to this guy named Crito. <laughs> you, you know where I'm going with this. No, Anthol- I first no? thought, Socrates, who said, I drank what? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Go ahead, yeah, I'm Same sorry. guy. Yeah, but uh, it's not really a dialogue. The whole thing is Socrates going on and on about his philosophical beliefs. Crito's lines tend to be, Really, Socrates? Is that so, Socrates? How interesting, Socrates. And the first hour of the movie is kind of that. Cause, and i got to say, Wallace Shawn this, I, th- does some of the best acting of his career because he looks fascinated the whole time. I, see, okay. That's really impressive because, <laughs> my God, I would be, you know, can we get some more bread over here? Huh. See, is that a, is that Ted Kennedy over there? No, he's dead. Um, he's Ted Kennedy wasn't dead in 1981. <laughs> oh, that's true. <laughs> um, I'm going to disagree. I'm not going to disagree that I think it's some of his best acting. I just don't think it was there. Because my feeling watching Wallace Shawn was he's sitting there whenever he would say, and it literally is like Max said, for the first hour, he does nothing but go, really? Then what happened? Uh-huh. Oh. Um, it looks to me like he's thinking... I think you're lying, Grandpa. Uh, <laughs> like he to me does not look interested, and he thinks I think you're full of poop. And we oh, actually I didn't get, get, to get a that point. at all. I did. Oh. That was how I because he looked like he didn't even understand. It's like, what are you? I wait. You were in a field, and they blindfolded you, and they stripped you naked, and then they uh, put you in a grave, and then they pulled you out, and it was met. What? What? And I'm not making that, that up. That's actually in the movie. Yeah, that's one of the stories. That's one of the creepier stories. Which, by the way, has some of the oddest camera work in the movie. Did you notice you, that? You get very close to, especially to yeah. Andre. It's one of the only times there's a slow zoom. They actually do, they move in closer and closer on his face while he's telling that. Well, now, what, what, how did you react to that? Because I'm actually very interested to hear this. Like, how did you, what did you um, think about Andre in that moment? Um, I thought he was being, it was one of the few honest moments, I thought, because he was, saying, I was scared. I didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah. It wasn't like, oh, I was experiencing this transcendent transformation. It's like, no, I was scared. I thought, I'm going to die. You know, this is like some kind of, as you say, I was thinking of you know secret police and concentration camps and execution squads. Yeah. I also was sitting there wondering, did they give him his clothes and his stuff back? He never said. Because <laughs> well, they, they do this. They, he points out that they took all of his possessions right. and all his clothes. They had him write out a will. <laughs> yeah. I agree. Like that was to me was was Andre's the one point in the movie where I think we actually see anything real from Andre. Because he's still I, I disagree in one point. You said that he's he says he's scared. He actually doesn't so like he doesn't make that the central point. He's still trying to make it this experience, this transcendental thing. But the way his face is kind of vibrating and his voice is shaking, you get the impression that it's like, no, actually I didn't like this at all. But he didn't want to admit it because somehow admitting it would Maybe. make him one of the robots, one of the zombies but, or something. But it did it did it give the idea that this had a profound effect on him, and it wasn't just... A lot of his stories um, sound like, you know, I'm sorry, spoiled rich guy stuff. Yeah. Like, oh, so then I was in Nepal, and I was working on a yak farm, or <laughs> I, I met this Japanese monk when I was over here. And a lot of it, it uh, it's just, when, when people tell stories, that, and they all begin with, when I went to, yeah. it's usually kind of, it's a kind of bragging. Yeah. And I think there's some element to that, to Andre. But the other thing it is, there's a lot of unspoken privilege here. 
Oh, yeah. Because underneath all of this is, you could afford to do this, to just disappear for six months and go to, you know, Trinidad or, you know, Cleveland or wherever the <laughs> hell you went. And you just talks about it like it's nothing. Like it's just, oh, yeah, we went here and I spent all this time there. And, and it was and then I that whole... I knew Pittsburgh. Yeah, uh, that's ooh, how That's I, a deeper. Yeah, I spent this whole time peeling hard-boiled eggs in a kitchen in yeah. In Sri Lanka. Yeah. No, they, and I think Wallace Shawn actually says something like that, uh, or to himself, in the beginning of the film where he says, you know, I think there's money in the family, or maybe Chiquita yeah. has money or something. that Because the best we can see for the last, whatever, eight years, um, Andre has done mm, nothing. He's not yeah. put on a play. He's not acted. He's not written anything. He's just gone off and had experiences. He actually reminded me of a character from a very different film called High Fidelity. Have you ever seen that? Yeah. Oh, sure. So that's a film that's got John Cusack playing John, John Cusack. But kind of. I like John Cusack, so it's okay. Yeah. And one of the things he's doing is, first, he's treating his girlfriend like crap because whatever. But then he decides he has to figure out what's wrong with him, and he starts going into his past to finding all his ex-girlfriends to find out why they're ex-girlfriends. And the, the one of them is played by Catherine Zeta-Jones. Her name is Charlie. And she is this magnetic, interesting, rich... Everybody wants to go and have sex with her or be with her character that never really seems to, to latch onto anybody for long. And she's utterly bored with the idea that he's come back to find out what was wrong with her thing. And he talks about her and he, you know, when he, there's this dinner party with these people that he gets himself invited to and, and she's going on about all these things very much like Andre is. And in the middle of it, John Cusack's character suddenly realizes that she's not really magical She's a bore because it's all about her and she's never really showing any interest in the people around her. And Andre talks about how people don't relate to people in 1981 and how that a lot of these, these experiences are supposed to open his mind and, and let him see the real world, blah, blah, blah. But he never really asks Wallace Shawn anything, at least not no, for the first hour also, of the film. He does say at one point, though... This, you know, all the stuff he's done, that's just the story of some spoiled princess. Yeah. It's like, okay, that's surprisingly self-aware. <laughs> Chris, then he goes on and compares himself to Albert Speer. I don't know who that is. Albert Speer was a high-ranking Nazi. He oh, wrote, that's right. Uh, Rise, and Fall, Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. Uh, and also, that to me sounded like the voice of privilege. Yeah. Right? It's like, oh, yeah. I'm going to call myself a Nazi because, oh, oh, only I could understand what that meant, blah, 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 whatever. Okay. Um, one of my other notes, again, this is for the first hour of the film, was it's a one-man show and also Wallace Shawn. <laughs> Up for the first hour, yeah. 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 Um, but it does change. It does somewhat. Some. Yeah, not a lot. And uh, I always wondered, part of me did always wonder what a movie could talk about for two hours. I'm uh, I'm still wondering. Uh, <laughs> I think they raise a lot of interesting points. I don't know if they go anywhere with them, but and I mean they're they're dealing the with you know human interaction, the nature of love, the nature of intimacy, right. the nature of truth with yourself, all all that stuff. Oh, that's illegal and, in most states, Max. <laughs> <laughs> not supposed to. Uh, yeah, don't 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 touch that. Yeah, uh, I I gotta say one thing. Andre normally like would would seem to me I assume totally self-absorbed, totally self-interested. In a lot of ways he is, but when Wally is talking, and I say Wally because he calls him Wally. Right. When he's talking, he's listening and he's listening actively. He asks questions, he responds, he's paying attention. Although, did you notice when Andre is talking, we get shots of Wallace's face. Right. And when Wallace is talking, we get shots mostly of the back of Andre's head. The only thing we see of his face is in the mirror behind Wallace. Right. Why? I don't what did know. That do? But I don't know about you, but it was at times like that I started watching the wait staff. <laughs> I wanted to see sure. what they were doing. And I got to say, the people in the background were acting just like they were in a restaurant. There was never any point where they looked bored or they were huh. looking like they were actors with nothing to do. I want to give credit to the people in the in the in the restaurant because they actually looked like and you would see the court. It's like it, it, shouldn't my shouldn't their course be? Oh, there it is. Like their courses yeah. would come out. And there's one point where he comes to clear the plates. The waiter goes to clear the plates, and Andre's like, "No, no, I'm not done." Because they don't really eat much. No. Um, 
I did, but I also, when I saw his expression, all I could think of was he was basically trying to target holes. He's basically like, okay, you have your theory, but now I'm going to tell you what, let me tell you why you're wrong. Like, and he kind of comes back with that. Like, he's not really listening to accept Wallace's viewpoint. He's already decided Wallace's viewpoint was wrong. Um, because Wallace, of course, doesn't agree with him. At least that's what Wallace says, but whatever. Um, in one of my more, uh, shall we say, nasty notes, I wrote that the name of the film should be Two Characters in Church of Entertainment. <laughs> no. But, uh, yeah, this is not a film for entertainment, let's be fair. Um, also, I gotta say, some of these stories and these things that Andre did and wants to do just make me think he did a little too much LDS in the 60s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of the stuff he talks about, the hallucinations, the giant demons or the or what he they they do sound very much either like a drug trip or a full-on mental breakdown well he talks about them in an actual catholic church oh yeah i went to this mass and there was this blue demon you know and he's you know hanging out but i don't think he was actually really that bad and he was talking to me and stuff and it's like what what what, what huh so I, I whatever i gotta say and i think this actually i didn't see the episode of fraser but apparently they were talking in fraser uh niles was saying things like but we don't know how was the soup and i wanted to know the soup was too <laughs> it's like they're in this restaurant right this is an experience this is a place i'm sure that the appetizers today are the equivalent of 50 bucks themselves and it's the kind of place where you taste the wine you like order the wine but then they bring it out and you taste it and you're that able happened. to say he did that yeah but they're able to say no it's not good and you can send the bottle back this is one of those yeah. places and he eats this potato soup and we see him eating it far too closely while the <laughs> I can say is please close your mouth when you chew and why are you chewing uh, soup uh, but there's chunks of potato in it I actually wanted to know and the thing with the pot I wanted we see Andre eat almost nothing then they get served these two quails, and Wallace is is, show, is thrown off a little bit, and he's like, well, I didn't know they were that small. And it's like, will you just eat the freaking quail? I've had quail. Quail is good. Eat it. <laughs> they send at least one quail back, and I'm just like, what the hell? And that actually did bother me. It's like, I don't want to watch you chew, but I do want you to eat. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't know. It just did really bother me. Wallace, as I said, doesn't get a word in edgewise for an hour, and I think part of him is trying to decide what he thinks. And of course, he's in a way the audience at this point, right? Because we're trying to figure out what what do we think about this. And then the film <laughs> makes these mistakes over and over again, and it gives us these these quotes that I'm like, do you really want to be saying that right now? One of this is like, Andre says, "You're not really living," and my thought is, well, neither are you, because what have you done? What have you done? You've had experiences. Okay, and then what? What have you done with these experiences? Are you really that better a person? I don't know. Oh, he says things like, oh, you know, we're always planning to do things and we have these things we want to do. And Wallace comes back with, what's wrong with doing things? I don't see the point in sitting there doing nothing. And that part of me is like, I'm kind of with Wallace in this. It's like <laughs> Wallace sure. makes points that are much more grounded yeah. and much more human. Like where he's talking about his electric blanket. Right. And he's saying, you know, I would never give up my electric blanket. It's cold in New York. It's cold in my apartment. And while Andre, Andre is talking about the theory of cold, and <laughs> yes, but you know, you know, it's cold. You can enjoy the cold. You can cuddle up to somebody when it's cold. You have to actively do it. He says, yeah, but I don't like being cold. And I'm sitting there going, yeah, I'm right there with you, man. I mean, it's very nice from a philosophical point of view, but who wants to be cold? You're not supposed to be cold. Feeling cold is your body's way of telling you, get warmer. Yeah. And again, this is the voice of privilege. Because Andre can choose to be cold if he wishes to experience cold. Yeah, because he knows he's got a, a blanket in the other room. Right. So this is all very philosophical and all very nice, but it doesn't really apply to the average person. Yeah, uh, I, I do also like how Wallace points out when Andre keeps talking about all these incredible places he's been and how, you know, being a... Uh, in, was it the, uh, the 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 Findhorn Foundation in Scotland, which is real? Yep. By the way, I looked that up. Yep. Uh, and it's it, what is it? Alternative Transformational Learning Center. Sure. Hippie stuff. I'm not sure. I pooped He's today. <laughs> well, not quite. But <laughs> want to bet? And Wall Wallace <laughs> is saying, you know, 
there's rea sure there's reality uh, there, but there's reality in the cigar store next to this restaurant. You know, you don't have to be on the top of Mount Everest to figure stuff out for you to be real. Yeah. There's just as much, isn't there as much reality in the cigar store as there is uh, at the top of Mount Everest? And I'm thinking, yeah! Uh-huh. He's absolutely right. This yep. whole thing of why do you have to be going to all these exotic places? Reality is reality. It, it's, and you know, Andre's talking about, oh, you know, we should get out of New York. New York is, uh, he described, I, I, I thought this was a really interesting set of images as New York as a prison camp built and maintained by the inmates. Right. And it's like, you know, you hear all these people who talk about, oh, I've got to leave New York. Do you know anyone who actually did? You must leave the Bronx. <laughs> Snake Plissken, I heard you was dead. <laughs> <laughs> but he has a point. That is kind of an attitude, especially back then, about New York. And again, as you were, as you said, New York was not going through a good period. No. And everyone was saying, oh, the city's so dirty and crime-ridden, I should leave. And most people didn't. No. That's an interesting point. I don't know what it means. I don't know where, what, where we're supposed to go with it. but Well, I mean, I think it's, I don't even think it has to be New York. I think it's hard to move from anywhere that you're used to. If you're somebody who grew up like an army sure. brat and you've moved everywhere, maybe it's not a big deal because you've never put down those roots. But like when I left Boston, that was really hard. Did I want to leave Boston? A lot of me says no. I still love Boston. I go back as many times as I can. Would I live there again if I possibly could? Yeah, I would. Is Boston the most amazing place in the world? Probably not, but I like it there. And it's like, I don't have an electric blanket, but maybe Boston's my electric blanket. I like it there. That's such a bad See, that, thing. That's that's one of the differences. We we say we like it in Boston. We don't say it's the greatest city in the world. No, but it's nicknamed that is is the, the essence hub of, of the universe. Well, yeah, there is that. <laughs> <laughs> I still can't believe it's like most people don't know that even if they've heard the nickname the hub they don't know what it means they think oh it must mean because the streets are all like wagon wheels but no no it's literally because I Boston wish they had that itself. I wish they made that much sense yeah uh, other quotes that I'd like to uh, bring up literally from this film quote it's like being lobotomized like watching television end quote or this movie uh, <laughs> uh, people today are so deeply asleep you ain't kidding <laughs> I had, I know what you're talking about, but I don't really know what you're talking about. Like, <laughs> I yeah, have, Wallace says that. I'm like, yep, yeah, you're the audience right now. The movie actually is willing to just flat out say at one point, quote, we're all bored now, end quote. And the one uh, you just said, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I, I also like, again, this is why I think most people tend to identify more with Wallace's character than with uh, Andre's. Yeah. Andre tells this convoluted story about this finding this old manuscript and opening it to this page, and there are these handprints on it, and like three of them are from people whose first name is Andre, right. and the fourth is from this guy who wrote The Little Prince, and he'd just been reading The Little Prince, and he was like, oh, it's like a message to me. And Wallace Shawn says it later, and he, and he has to wait for this yep. till he's realized that Andre's not just going to shut him down every time, I think. He says, I don't believe that. He says, look, I... I, when I get a fortune cookie, yeah, I read it, and I'm going to go, and if it says I had a, I'm, you will have a conversation with a dark-haired man, I'm going to start thinking, hmm, what dark, who do I know with dark hair, and have I had a conversation, What's, but I don't think, but also, I know this was written in a factory somewhere, uh, and put in this cookie, and it has nothing to do with me, and it's just a coincidence, and it's, he's like way less self-centered in some ways, way less self-important than Andre is because he's, yeah, some of this is just coincidence. It's not the future speaking to us. It just happens. Yeah. And one of my other notes follow up to this is Andre is a guy who reads, he travels, he observes a lot, but he does nothing. And one of his things was saying that doing nothing sometimes is a good thing. And I, I'm just like, hey, dude, it's your life. Do whatever you want with it, but don't. I think this is one of the big problems I have with Andre is Andre is saying this is how you should be. And Wallace is saying this is how I am and how I like things. And I don't, this is where historically, as long as there's been humans, people get into trouble is when they start telling other people how they should live. Now, would Andre be happy watching cartoons and eating Cheetos? No, <laughs> that's not going to be for Andre. Does that mean that he should damn the person who likes to do that? No. Should that person perhaps maybe branch out a little and look at things other than Warner Brothers cartoons? Maybe. No. I'm sorry, what? 
<laughs> Maybe, but that's not for anybody but that person to decide. If that person lived their entire life, and he talks about this woman, and she's like, oh, all she would ever eat is chicken, and then one day she died of malnutrition, and it's like, I bet that's not true. But anyway... <laughs> He's like, because she never knew anything but chicken, which she loved, she missed the whole point of life. And it's like, did she? Maybe she was happy. You know, mm. I gotta, I have a hard time arguing against, I was happy. That's a pretty good life thesis to me. Uh, Again, that's what Wallace says. He says, what's wrong with enjoying things, yeah. with like enjoying little things? He'd, like a cup of cold coffee from the night before, yeah. ew. But yeah, well. <laughs> that's, and, and it, I think he makes some good points. Andre points out stuff about like enjoyment or whatever these things separate you from reality. But as you say, he's like trying to set up a universal paradigm, something yeah. that is the is good for everyone. And Wallace is much more realistic and says, this is what works for me. And I don't know if it's the right thing for everyone, but I think it works for me. Yeah. What did you think also of that little, the Jimmy story? Jimmy. where? Andre's talking about the doorman at his building. Oh. He says, and he calls me Mr. Gregory, and I call him Jimmy. And I realize, you know, that he says, what's the difference between that and being a plantation owner with slaves? Well. I'm going, um, Well, dude, I think Jimmy can quit and get a different job. <laughs> that's the big thing is, yeah, Jimmy Jimmy is has made that decision. If he really wanted you to call him, you know, Mr. Stewart or whatever his name might be. <laughs> There's no reason Jimmy Stewart couldn't have worked as a doorman. Then he would he would introduce himself that way. Or but he did have Andre could take the step and start calling him Mr. Stewart. Does he change the way he No, he doesn't change anything. He just points it out. That's what he does is points things out. And it's like he thinks we should all change our lives, but he doesn't even seem very fulfilled. As far as I'm concerned, he's as empty as he's claiming that that Wallace Shawn is. Except the difference is that while Andre is empty and knows it, Wallace Shawn might be empty. I'm not even going to make that argument. But he actually seems pretty happy about it. So who would you pick? I'm in Wallace's camp. I'm in Team yeah. Wallace. <laughs> right. If we want to bring in the Twilight parallel. <laughs> oh, God. do we? Oh, please. Why would we ever want to do that? Oh, but by the way, Jacob was cuter. Um, <sighs> you know, so... I would say that Andre's performance, except for that part where he's talking about the whole I'm being buried and that thing, where he, there's actually, like you pointed out, some definite fear in him. His performance is pretty plateaued through the whole film. Yeah. It's not better or worse. It's just pretty much the same. I buy him because how much of a stretch is it to play yourself? I don't know. But it, Wallace, It's true, though. He, oh, sorry, go ahead. I say Wallace... Most of the films, uh-huh, yeah, what happened next? And I was just like, I, I didn't get him at all. I mean, I did get him because I'd probably be like, oh, God, I have to suffer through this dinner with this pretentious boar. I better just sort of play up to him and, you know, be nice and we'll get dinner over and everything will be fine. At the end of the film, though, Wallace finally gets to shine and we get to see him like when he goes into the and he talks about his life and he's like, look, I you want my actual opinion? Do you want me to be blunt? I think you're full of poop, which is basically what he says. And he, te but he has reasons for it. Like it, it, at first, I thought Wallace was like snoozing his way through Andre's monologues the way we were. No, he's paying attention. He's paying attention. He listens he's to all of it. And at the end, and I, this is where I do understand his, the quote Wallace Shawn, the actor, said about that his, this person was acting out of fear. And you could tell that a lot of the reasons that he kept doing the things that he had been doing was because he was fear of change. Everybody has fear of change for the most part. Sure. But again, I'm just like, I don't mistrust being happy. I might question, should I really be doing this thing that's making me happy? Drinking a quart of vodka a day. Okay, that's maybe, you know, is that actually happy? But the things he talks about, an electric blanket or a cup of coffee, I think he's fine. <laughs> um, but Wallace Shawn, we actually finally get to see that passion in the end. And that's where he really shines. And sadly, it kind of gets damped down again. Um, I wish the film had actually ended more on that sort of a high note um, because there's still more, basically, Andre shooting holes in his theories. And then he takes a cab and he's like, yeah, so we had this conversation and I went home and I told my girlfriend about it. The end. But that's the thing. Uh, and uh, Andre stays the same throughout the whole movie. He doesn't change at all. No. Wallace is real. Has had some fundamental things shaken. Mm -hmm. He's actually taken some of the stuff that Andre said to heart. And while he may not agree, but it's made him question stuff. And I think that uh, first of all, I think 
it's one of, it's evidence that Wallace Shawn is a much better actor mm-hmm. because he doesn't do the whole the same thing all the way through as you said where Andre pretty much except for that one scene does and he uh, Wallace Shawn shows a real range of emotion and a real range of energy level and such and it is kind of disturbing it's a little sad well, because he's had he's had his his sort of comfortable if not if unexceptional world shaken and it upsets him. So here's, this is not one of the talking point questions, but since you brought that up, I want to ask you, do you think after this film, first I'll ask for Andre, do you think Andre is going to go and question anything that he's done up until this point after having talked to Wallace at the dinner? I think Andre is going yeah. to change anything. I don't think so. Okay. Uh, Andre seems pretty secure in his worldview and uh, doesn't really seem to have anything shaken. Do you think of the same of Wallace? I don't know. Wallace, I think we'll think about it, but I think Wallace is seems too grounded. He'll just fall back into the realities of his life. But if either of if one of them was going to change, I think it would be him. Hmm. I think there's possibility. I don't see any possibility in Andre at all. Yeah. Um, we actually should get to our talking points, yeah, uh, if you don't yeah. mind. Nope, go ahead. Was this film a standout for the year 1981? Clear, well, it was clearly very popular in some ways, at least among critics, if not among audiences. I gotta say, I think it was a remarkably brave thing to do. This is a really bold choice for a movie. In a year when you've got in, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark and wacky comedies and action, and then you have a movie with two people sitting in a restaurant talking. Yeah. That's taking a real chance. Mm-hmm. It's not quite, you know... Andy Warhol filming somebody sleeping for eight hours. (laughs) Or Empire. But uh, I I think it stands out. I think it was certainly unique for the time. What about you? Well, it obviously didn't make any money. And I'm sure it was never expected to. But look how much it it wove its way into the the consciousness. The consciousness and popular culture. Yeah. Now, admittedly, a lot of those things are from other creative people, most notably other movies and TV shows. Although the fact that Gary Larson worked it into a Far Side cartoon, I think, is great. Um, <laughs> the fact that it worked its way into The Simpsons, I'm surprised we haven't been in a Simpsons episode at this point. Yeah, well. But the point is, when you do stuff like that, it's with the idea that the audience will understand what you're talking about. So even if my Dinner with Andre was not a film a lot of people saw. A lot of people knew about it, enough so that they could make a joke in The Simpsons about it and know that the joke would be got by a fair percentage of their audience. So, in a way, yeah, I think it was a standout for 1981. And like you said, very brave, because it is just two people talking. The only yep. action is Wallace Shawn getting to the restaurant and Wallace Shawn taking a cab home. That's action for you. Yep. Did this film significantly affect films that came after it? Well, it became a reference point for an awful lot of things. I think in some ways, there's things every so often I see when people like Kevin Smith or Quentin Tarantino, who have a lot of action in their movies, but they also have segments where people are just sitting and talking. Tarantino's famous for this. He can have like half-hour segments where people are just having a conversation about Superman or something. Yeah. I think maybe it did. I'm not sure, but I mean, I can't point to direct, like, oh yeah, this is right out of my dinner with Andre, but I think so. What about you? I can't tell. I think that it might even be something as subtle as the camera work, which there ain't a lot of, but it is there. Um, And I think that they very carefully crafted, whoever the cinematographer was, I think it was very carefully crafted the way the camera works, the placement. Um... And stuff like that's really hard, at least for me, to track. But it wouldn't surprise me if stuff like that really affected it. Uh, I haven't seen any other films where it's just two people talking, and that's fine. So I think if it did, it's one of those films where it's like it's art for art's sake, right? So this is big, probably big in the acting world. This is probably big in the theater world, although it is a film. Um, and it's probably big in the art house community other than that i don't know i gotta say though i could see you just saying that makes me think i would imagine this would be big in theater because this is very like a play 
where it's just a couple of people on stage talking. That's what a lot of plays are. Well, here's the thing. Would it work as a play? Because my feeling is that the camera work actually has a lot to do with how it shapes our Interesting. emotional state whenever anyone's yeah. talking. Whereas if it's just two people, on, you can't really see their faces unless yeah. it's an extremely small theater. I don't no, I know. Think it, I don't know if it would work as a play. That's an interesting question. I, I don't think it would. Yeah. I think it has to be a movie. Does this movie reflect 1981? Uh, the vis the vision of New York and the New York theater scene absolutely that it represent it it uh, encompasses a very specific part of 1981 I think. Well, I think the overall feel, especially with like just looking at New York and knowing that it's really pretty shabby at this point, uh, it definitely reflects it. I don't think we really do anything but talk about these two people's views of w the world. So we're not talking politics. We're not talking. Um, you know, even popular culture. They never talk about popular culture. So in those ways, no, but visually and even just where they are and how they're doing what they're doing does. Like I wouldn't, I would, I would have thought maybe late seventies, early eighties, but I would still, they would be right where I think they would be. Yeah. I'm assuming that's intentional. That's why they talk about theater and not movies because theater has been around for thousands of years. So yeah. it could be at any time. Yeah. Um, that's all I got for my notes. Uh, do you yeah. have any notes before we get to the, the big roundup? Because this is a head-scratcher. <laughs> I think, think, I've, uh, think I've done all of mine. The roundup. So, Max. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got me last week. That's not going to happen again. <laughs> uh, you saw this when it came out. You said you saw it I with did. your father. I and did. remember what Dad thought. Do you remember what you thought? 1981, you would have been in high school, right? Or somewhere around yeah. there? Uh, I remember thinking, I like the line about the electric blanket. That was what I, that was what I remembered. That was almost the only thing I remembered from the movie, even now. When, before we watched it again, I remembered Wallace Shawn talking about his electric blanket. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, yeah, you know, he's the character that, you know, I, I, I feel more for. Beyond that, I remembered almost nothing about the movie, except that it was two guys in a restaurant, and one guy did most of the talking. Yeah. You've never seen it. No, but what did you think this time? You know, I'm not sure. It's, again, I think a very daring kind of movie, in, especially for, for the time. I think they bring up some really interesting points. I think Wallace Shawn does a really good job. I think he's, I think he's actually fun to watch in this because his face is so expressive, and his voice, distinctive though it is, carries, inconceivable. A, lot, yeah, carries a lot more emotional weight. Um, that being said, it's two hours of people talking, and maybe I've had my pacing ruined by American movies. It's one of the reasons I have some trouble with foreign movies, that, like French movies especially, which I, some of which are gorgeous and amazing pieces of work, and have me looking at my watch going, come on! <laughs> Just kill him already! Or <laughs> Why don't Just you kiss him instead of talking him to death? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So I'm not sure how much of it is just what I've been conditioned to. I think as a piece, as a, an example of cinema, this is friggin' fascinating. And it obviously did have an impact, because it, it, like you said... It's 40 years later, and people are still making jokes about it. They still make reference to it. Usually it's to make fun of it. Mm -hmm. But it's still there. Mm -hmm. And so I think, it's, I think it's a significant piece. I just, it's no, it's not, if you're looking for something fun, it's not that. Yeah. What about you? I hadn't seen it before. This is, a, I was the one who chose it because this is one of those films that pops up, and it's like, the amazing my dinner with andre or it's a joke or something and i'm like it's, hey, it's consistent it's consistently made the list of top 50 best indie films yes for the last 40 years yep i think it's a very difficult film to watch because it's so boring and i gotta say it right out it's boring the first hour of the film where we're just hearing andre go on and on about how amazing his life has been and all these weird ass like, at first I thought, is this improvised? Because, like, who's how could you make this up except by making it up? Except apparently he didn't. Um, and, like, Wallace Shawn's character seems to me, I'm bored. And I think he's full of poop. And I'm just like, <laughs> I want to call him out on it. And it gets a little annoying. And I kept looking at the clock. The problem is, 
when you get to the last third of the film, the last quarter of the film, that's when it pays off. That's when Wallace Shawn finally speaks up and you're like, oh, thank God somebody's talking like me. Yeah, I'm sorry. I don't have a problem with little creature comforts that make me happy. Do I need to sit there and consider every single piece of them? No, I don't think life should just be a struggle without any happiness. I don't see the point. And I think it's, again, very easy for somebody who's wealthy to say crap like this. You know, does anything that Andre said have to do with Jimmy the doorman? No. is Jimmy's probably working. Maybe that's he's working two jobs trying to keep a family of five afloat and fed. Nobody gives a crap if you sat there and had a grave dug for yourself and pretended to be dead or for five minutes in a, in a field somewhere in Europe when you've got people who are hungry and can't and don't have medicine or whatever. It's like, it's all very well and good, but you're talking a platonic level that none of us can reach. And honestly, it doesn't seem to have done you any good. My yeah. other feeling was, I think in a way, this movie is miscast. Really? I think it might have been more believable if it had been between two college students, one of whom had spent yeah. the summer abroad, and maybe they were talking over a little bit of the old Mary Jane. Um, and they were talking, because it comes off to me as life experiences by people who don't actually know what it is to live yet. <laughs> Wallace Shawn, I, I believe. Andre feels like he's searching for what life is because he's never actually lived it. He never had an actual the, job. He never worked I can nine see, to five. I can see that. Uh, because a lot of the questions that he brings up are exactly the sort of things that a couple of high college sophomores would have uh, would be talking about. However, I think it matters that he's been around for a while. I think it matters that he has had a range of experiences over years. It's not just as you can dismiss a vapid summer. This guy is talking. It's got to be like twenty years worth of experiences, Which? and worldwide travel and. Being also being married, being a father, he has experienced a, a, a wider range of life than a couple of college kids who had just had an interesting summer would. Has I, he? I, I think that, yeah, he has. To we me, know he he's keeps going these. to the same experience. One of them's in Poland, one of them's in wherever, but it's the same. I want to basically be doing something where I don't know what's going to happen next, and I'm not but in there's control. The whole the whole segment yeah. where he's talking about the Japanese monk who comes and lives with him and his family. Right. But which I still thing. don't know exactly what the point was, except it sounded kind of like a Japanese Rasputin. Yeah, except he doesn't have to get shot and thrown in a river or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. I will say this. I can't recommend this film for probably anybody I know. The reason being is I think for most of the, pretty much everybody I know, it's boring. It is boring. If you were next to them at the restaurant, you would have paid early and left. That being said... It is a very interesting, and we're still talking about it. When I was done watching this movie, I was like, I can't wait to hear what Max has to say about this film, because... And now you know better. Yeah, well, you know, that's how it... Usually I keep hoping, <laughs> and every time you keep letting me... No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah. Um, you did have some very good points, and that's the point, is like, it keeps us talking. It's 40 it's years later, and it's yeah. 21 years later, and there's still something to talk about. Um, it's just, it is such a slog, and I don't know if making it, like, writing it to be more interesting or having action, like, maybe, you know, there's a shootout. <laughs> I don't think that would help at all. It's just, I think it was worth seeing. I don't ever want to see it again. And in some ways, I'm sorry. But we uh, want to just reiterate our nifty new uh, poll question for this week. And that mm -hmm. poll question is, do critics' opinions actually influence whether or not you will see a film? And if so, in what circumstances? And you can answer us through many different ways, such as our website. You can leave a comment, like Vince, at maxmikemovies.com, where we have all of our past episodes and all our series all nice and organized for you. You can email us directly, uh, earn 10 times bumpy bucks with no pucks included, at us at maxmikemovies.com. Find us on social media, such as Facebook and Twitter, which we are Max Mike Movies, and of course, uh, yada yada uh, podcast app of your choice, blah, blah, blah. But Max. Yes. We are just in the middle of, that sure was 1981. What deep philosophical indie art house foreign film are we going to watch next week? Well, I really wanted to keep it the same spirit of deep intellectual uh, exploration and spiritual journeying that we have 
in this movie, so I believe we're going to go with the classics in terms of classical Greek mythology mm. and in terms of Clash of the Titans. <laughs> Wait, is that the one with Larry Olivier as Zeus? It's Sir Lawrence, thank you very much, <laughs> and Harry Pied Piper of Hamlin, and and uh, I think, wasn't it the last Ray Harryhausen? Uh, might be. All I remember is a robot owl, which is not at all like R two D two. Yes, which, which was unfortunately named after a plague po- a plague scab, a boobo. I think it's boob, maybe <laughs> it's boobos, boobo. but yeah. Um, that's okay yes, because yeah. they this one's that. a re- this one's a real winner, folks. Yeah. And uh, I, it's, it's a real interesting contrast because uh, it is classical literature. This was classical theater, so whatever. So next week, yeah. boobo, won't you? <laughs> and uh, I would like to point out. Andre did pick up the check. This has been a co-production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench.